latest episode of Elko's Mainstream, we have someone who's building an essential vertical SaaS solution for fund managers and LPs. Today's guest is Michelle Giolier, the co-founder and CEO of Betterfront, a B2B vertical SaaS company dedicated to private markets. He's building a comprehensive solution to enable fund managers to more efficiently and effectively fundraise. Betterfront's mission is to transform the way alternative fund managers engage, win, and retain investors by using technology, data, and analytics. Betterfront is already trusted by a number of top European VCs, including Cherry, Partech, Episode One, HTGF, Wingman, Loyal, and more. Michelle comes at the problem of fundraising with a very unique perspective. He was previously on the LP side, where he led due diligence and fund manager selection for the Siemens Pension Fund in Germany. And he started Betterfront out of frustration for poor solutions for analyzing alternative investment funds. Michelle and I had a thought-provoking conversation about the current challenges that GPs have with fundraising and how Betterfront was built to provide better solutions for GPs. We discussed how much of private markets technology is ripe for disruption and why it's been historically difficult to build modern specialized software for private markets. We then looked to the future about how Michelle believes that the placement agent and secondaries businesses can be disrupted with technology and data. Thanks, Michelle, for coming on the AGM podcast. We hope you enjoy. Michelle, welcome to the Alco's Mainstream Podcast. Hi, Michael. Great to be here. Pleasure to have you. There's so much to discuss, so many different aspects of private markets. I'd love to start with what you think the opportunity is in private markets and how big is this space? That's a great question. And it's a question I'm asked all the time. How big is it? Is it still a niche business? My first answer is obviously no. If you look at all the research between Precreen and McKinsey, we can say there is around $10 trillion today in private markets. And around half of it is in private equity. The reason we got there is because institutional investors have increased the allocation to private market. And that really translated into over the last five years around more or less $1 trillion of assets flowing every year into private market. And again, the big part of it goes into private equity funds. What part of private equity is seeing most of that inflow? And how have you thought about this as you've built Betterfront? You have to look at how many funds are out there, how big are they. Uh, there is obviously a big rise in solo GP, emerging GPs. The bulk of the assets is between being a solo GP, raising $5 million, and Blackstone raising $25 billion. There is a lot of people in between, but the large part of the market is still raising 200 to $250 million in terms of venture capital and buyout $1 to $5 billion. You've sat on both sides of the equation here. You've been an LP at a big institutional investor, and now you're building fundraising software to help both LPs and GPs at Betterfront. How do you think about the opportunity on the fundraising side? There's clearly more capital going into private markets. LPs are really interested in private markets. Funds are getting bigger. What do you think 
all different types of funds, whether they're small to big, are thinking about the fundraising opportunity and what can they do about it? We always say it's both sides of the same coin. What that means is when a GP is doing fundraising, marketing its funds, on the other end, you have an investor doing due diligence. And the LP, which I was, you have to select the best manager out there. You have a fiduciary duty. And coming back to your first question, how big is it? Back in the past, it was quite small. A few GPs, a few LPs, and it worked. You could do it via email and Excel, everything was fine. But today, we have 10,000 funds out there fundraising. It's doubled in the last four years. So again, more opportunity for LPs. But the tool stack of the LPs hasn't changed. And that's a real bottleneck. And that's how Betterfront is solving. It's an interface between how GP and LP interact into one platform. How do GPs generally fundraise today? And maybe you can segment this in terms of the larger GPs who have armies of fundraisers, teams, resources, and some of the smaller GPs. Absolutely. It's a different world. If you are Blackstone, you have dozens of people on this. But if you are a mid-sized asset manager, usually it's either the partner doing the fundraising herself or himself, or you have an IR person that helps. But even then, you still have the MP being involved in the process. What we are seeing out there is it doesn't work the same way that it used to work before. It's not like you go and fundraise every five years, you just come by and say hello. First, there's more products that GPs are offering to LPs. Sure, there's a flagship fund, which now is every three years, sometimes even two years. But then you have opportunity fund or growth funds. You have co-investments, several co-investments ongoing. And of course, you have secondaries, which we might talk about later as well, which again, coming to the overall picture on how GP interact with LPs. And so the tools that they had in the past is always the same old tools that are PE-backed companies that haven't really innovated over the years. You know, really PE company focused on cutting costs. That has created a big opportunity for companies like Betterfront where there is new tools required to do the fundraising in a new way, in a way so that you can stand out and deliver a better experience to your own LPs. What is the current fundraising stack from a software or technology perspective or even maybe a manual process look like for the GP? We try to look from a very simple angle. Our goal is to work with customers and to help them they have two business, one is to make investment, and the other one is to build an investment asset management firm. Better fund focused on that part. We can slice and dice like what tech stack and everything, but in the end, we believe they have to do three things all over, all the time. One is share data with them. The second one is share fund performance. And the last part is signing, signing NDA, signing subscription doc, all of those things. We at Better Fund, we focus first on the middle part, on the data, on the analytics, on the performance part, because my experience as LP, track record is always number one on your due diligence list. When you hear about an LP committing to a fund, it's always amazing track record and strategy and team and so on. But always the track record is top of mind. We started with this, but of course, at Betterfront, we also focus on the entire tech stack in the end, really going from start to finish, having an all-in-one fundraising platform to really uh, make um, a fundraising, which very often is a maddening process. In the past, it used to be a lot of Excel sheets. Even today, you would be surprised how many GPs still use a lot of Excels to manage this. A lot of emails, communication are everywhere. So really try to centralize and keep everything streamlined. Why did you think that starting with data is so important? And what has been lacking in the past about data analysis and data aggregation for both the GP and the LP? 
Absolutely. I started my career doing pre-seed deals and then I moved to the LP side. I was working at a firm that has been doing it for more than 20 years. So I learned a lot about relationship building. I learned a lot about winning a fund of fund and all of those things. And you always had a lot of data. But the main issue is how do you go from data to insight? How do you select the best manager based on data? The answer was always Excel, but it's slow. It takes time. The amount of opportunity just keeps increasing. So you cannot keep up. And again, coming back to that fiduciary duty as an LP to select the best one. So our focus at BetterFront was to solve that part, create a tool to make that track record presentation much clearer for both sides. Something that we quickly change is we initially thought that LPs would be the target for that. But as we were doing this, we had more and more interest from GPs coming to us and saying, hey, look, we are sharing all that data. We don't really know what LPs are doing with it. Can we use your tool? And by the fifth one, we said, okay, wait a moment. Something is happening here. And it, it turned out that GP need a much better way to market themselves, to tell their story, to showcase their track record. That's what we have built as a custom solution, not really a standard BI tool, but really made for them. How does standardization of data so that the LP can look at and cut data on a bunch of different funds in a very efficient way factor into how you've thought about building your platform? Because to your point, so much of this was done through Excel or manual processes or collating all different disparate data sources, or even the way fund managers may have cut their own data and presented that to LPs, it may be different. How much of what you're doing is about standardization of data to then make it easier for LPs to evaluate funds? I think that every GPs, they all have kind of the same data. It's in different format. What we try to do is move away from what most GPs think it's important because very often when you speak with someone, they will tell you, we are top quartile. They make the math and we are top quartile, which is not really telling for any LP. LP has a list of questions I want to understand, meaning how do you construct portfolio? How do you think about valuation? How do you think about ownership? And every question can change according to the strategy to the GP. The way that we think about data analytics is how can we answer this question in a visual way? Everybody assumed that every GP, every fund has a fund return. Well, maybe not. I run hundreds of due diligence and every GP is actually different. And you need to slice and dice the data to understand, compare, let's say, how is Vista different from Thomas Bravo, different from another buyout firm, and do the same across different GPs to understand, really go way more deeper than just the benchmark level and try to uh, answer all those different questions. What do you think from a company building perspective, putting on your better front hat, what is the data give you as you think about where you can take this business over time? First, we're really excited because we work with a lot of data. We want to tell the best story. We want our customer to tell their best story that, that works for them. So we do work with a lot of data. It can be data from fund admin side, from the portfolio side, from different level as well. What we're looking at Betterfront is it's a couple of things. One thing, maybe more along the way in a couple of months or year, is about how can we benchmark portfolio in real time and not just DPI or TVPIR level, but you go a level deeper, meaning has that fund deployed faster, slower than other strategy in similar regions, really go into two different aspects. Another one is also when we talk about the 
Gondaries, being able to analyze that data again to Gondaries transactions. It's something which we're also quite excited about and are already thinking about it, already receiving a couple of requests. But what we do today, it's very simple. We work with customers. Our customers are GPs and we don't share their data. They are in control of who get access to it, how people see it, how people engage with it. We don't do anything next to that. It's not something that we focus on right now. Yeah, it's interesting to think about fundraising as a storytelling exercise. You mentioned the word storytelling, and that's a component of what they do. How do you think about fundraising as storytelling? And what advice would you give to GPs as they think about telling their story to LPs? When I was an LP, a lot of the time I would read Pitch Deck and more or less it's always the same thing. Great team, looking for great entrepreneur, same school, same background. It gets repetitive. Actually, what is very interesting is to look at the track record. But very often GPs just put an Excel somewhere in a data room and don't really use it. Our thinking at Betterfront is it should be at the forefront of the experience. You should showcase your track record, explain different part of team attribution, how things have changed over time, how how do you think about deploying capital? How do you think about your fund model? Is that aligned with what you have done in the past? It's a storytelling. It's always explaining, bringing your story to life. It changed for every customer. So, you know, we have customer on the growth equity side. We have customer on the venture side. We have customer with different fund size. So of course, all those elements, answers are different all the time. But it's really about bringing them in a way that we can also directly show it to LP and LP can then integrate that directly into their own due diligence as well, speeding up the entire process. Having this comprehensive all-in-one fundraising platform, what are some of the things you've seen about more successful fundraisers for funds and the way in which they've presented their data versus others? One clear feedback we have is it really improves the transparency. And the way that you build relationship with LPs, you know, it depends who you're raising from. We have seen GPs coming to us and say we're raising from family offices and not all of them are as educated as fund of funds specialized, let's say, in venture. It has really helped them show a track record, what they have done in the past, how will that translate into the future? Does it align the story that they find in the pitch deck or tell in a meeting that can find it again on the track record side, which was not always the case before. It really helps in terms of transparency, in terms of relationship building, but also on a practical side. What it means is they don't have the LPs that you are pitching to. They don't have to invest a few days to bring you to the next step of their due diligence. It really speed up the entire process. You can spend more time discussing deals, actually, and not just say, oh, we have done X deals at that stage in that region. Really go deeper because as an LP, that's what I enjoy the most, discussing why you have done some deals, why not those ones, how do you think about team succession, different things. And when you meet LPs as a GP, you don't have a lot of time. So having a track record ready for them really enables a lot more possibility than just if you would dump the data on them. In your mind, how does having a comprehensive data room automate or short circuit some of the fundraising process versus some of the things that you may have to do in the offline experience. I'd be curious to hear how you think about the interplay of online versus offline in the fundraising process and how having a comprehensive modern data room as opposed to something like an intralinks, which has served its purpose, but is more of the incumbent in this conversation. How do you think about that interplay? When we launched, it was during COVID, nobody could travel and everything moved online. So they really needed a much better tool, GPs, to engage their customers, the LPs. And that was on target. Now, as people start to travel again, 
it doesn't really change. The way that we see our data room is something that everybody needs one, but it comes very often on a second step. The first step is let me convince you of my track record. Let's go deep on why are we a fit for your portfolio, how we create value, how we construct portfolio. Then once they have done all of this online or at meetings, on events, for instance, then it's very often where you can share data room with them. The fact that everything is in one platform, is connected to each other, it's very easy to use. A lot of times data room, we heard from customer, this one is very dry, this one doesn't really work. We want it to be simple. We want one login for LPs, get access to everything. So the experience is also quite important today. You cannot just send emails anymore. That doesn't really work. So that was also a big focus of ours is to go from the start from the presentation you share with them to your track record to, of course, data room and then whatever else. On that point, I'm fascinated by how you think about BetterFront in terms of comparing it to other solutions in the tech world. There's a bit of docsend in BetterFront from a document permissioning sharing electronically component. There's a bit of intralinks, obviously, as a comprehensive data site. There's a bit of Burgess or Prequin from a PitchBook or even Cambridge Associates from a data and benchmarking perspective. There's a bit of DocuSign with the electronic signature. Who would you compare BetterFront to in the tech world? And also, why do you think it's important for this to be an all-in-one solution? You have a bit of each of those components. So I'd love to hear your philosophy and how you've thought about this as a business. Absolutely. If I would compare BetterFront with something on the tech world, which is not even in private market, I would say we are the Shopify of private market. We give you the fund manager, the tool to go direct to the investors, to build directly relationship with investors, the way that if I'm a e-commerce entrepreneur, I can directly build relationship with my customer with Shopify. Then if I do the Parallel other players, there's the Amazon that aggregates the different feeder funds. That would be the Amazon where you aggregate all the funds and then you can come and you can buy on them. And I think they're doing a great job. We just have a different philosophy. We want to give the tools to the GPs to go direct, build relationship. And that means three things. One is share documents, you know, fundraising material, LP reports. You need to analyze and share your fund performance. That's why we have built a data analytic part. Again, you are selling an investment product and, and return is key. How you generate it is very helpful to understand. And then finally, you always need to sign things. You need to sign NDAs, you need to sign subscription documents, you need to do all of this. Instead of doing it in a general way, we're really focusing on having one tool for that segment and be vertically focused on them and serving them in a very thoughtful way. And that's how we really develop BetterFront is how can we serve our customer to solve all the pain points around the fundraising in the way that they can build thriving relationship with investors. On that point, I think there's a fascinating philosophical discussion about how to build a technology company. There are all-in-one solutions out there in various parts of the tech world. ClickUp is one that comes to mind as this comprehensive solution for team communication management that's different than like a Slack, for example, and it has all the solutions integrated into one. You're an all-in-one integrated solution, maybe not focusing on one specific thing like DocSend, for example, does. So how do you balance the idea of being the best at one thing versus being good at everything? Maybe not the best at everything, but being this all-in-one solution and doing what the customers need. When you look at two tools, and ClickUp is a great example, but you can also mention HubSpot or Pipedrive. And what we hear from customer is 
tools are generic, which are not really built for me because HubSpot has been built to do inbound marketing for mostly software companies, which is different from building relationship with investors, with LPs. Because for instance, it's not like you just move LPs through your fundraising pipeline. Sure, you do that, but you have some other LPs that you are nurturing over a one-year period, over a two-year period. You're meeting at conference, you're flying, meeting them, then you're sharing updates of fundraising cycle. So there's all two things which are really specific to the asset management industry, which are different from SaaS or any other types of industry. At Betterfront, we really focus on looking at this problem and seeing how we can solve exactly for that. I think it's very different than trying to solve for everyone is having one persona, one profile, one segment you want to serve and understand how their needs are different from generic tools out there. And of course, the fact that they are all in one also helps because when they think about where is the place to run my investor relation business, it's better front. Where's my place to do fund admin? Is that also one? Or it's my place to do deal flow? Is that other tool? So I think that also helps explaining the customer how we position ourselves. You mentioned this earlier about fundraising being such a key part of building an asset management business. It really is the lifeblood of building the business. Without the capital, you don't have any capital to invest. And yet the placement agent business has yet to be revolutionized by technology. Why is that the case? I think placement agents are playing a very important role in the way that you see successful fundraising happen. Very often you read that that fund has raised hundred millions or billions, but you don't see the placement agent behind. And I think it changed year over year, but in private equity, around 70% of the fund raise are done under placement agent mandate. So they do play a key role. But very often what you will see is that they still use a Rolodex. Maybe they move to Excel. They haven't really caught the digital and still run the business in kind of the old way. That is starting to change with different products because technology is here to make this more efficient, more streamlined. Again, showing performance instead of just benchmarking in a very simple way, in a way that works for you, really explaining how does that fund manager create value. This is really game changing. What do you think technology can do that maybe wasn't part of the fundraising process before? And what do you think technology can't do where those relationships still need to be built offline in person? Obviously, it's a relationship business, but it can be enhanced and enabled by technology. What we really focus on is also making everything more efficient and connected. That's really key today. It's not uncommon to hear fund manager having hundreds of LPs across different funds. It really gets complicated quite fast. So the question is, how can you build technology to really solve for that? And that's what we try to answer here every day at the company. At the same time, you know, there's different actors also out there. There's a placement agent, there's a fund admin, there's sometimes lawyers, there's an IR person, there's a finance team. So also make them collaborate is very key. Make the data flow across system is also key. The private market is not there yet. Uh, there's very little integration. So I think we can work on that in the next years. But there is a lot of providers out there that can really enable all those relationship building exercise that every GP is doing almost every day. Relationships are so key to the fundraising process. I always remember what one of the founders of iCapital, Nick Veronis, used to say. He always would say, private equity is something that's sold, not bought. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that statement? And how do you think about that in the context of Betterfront and what you're building? Do you agree or disagree with that? I agree. But at the same time, data can really help. 
what I mean is when you are looking to deploy into private market, it's very easy to go into big brands. We have to say that nobody gets fired to hire IBM. In allocation, it's kind of the same. But the thing is, very often you have great opportunities that generate better returns if you actually spend time on it and look at them. But it's very hard because, again, you don't have the tool to analyze data, to slice the, the data. Maybe you want to allocate to a very big funds that you can model out and understand it will do a 2x. But if you spend a bit more time, maybe there are other opportunities, smaller ones that can generate better return. But because it takes time to build a relationship, to analyze, to compare, very often that's not something that people always do. What we really want to do is by having tools to analyze data, share that data in an efficient way and tell, as you said, that story, really explain how can our strategy be better, superior in that environment than another one, for instance. What's different about how you enable LPs to analyze and cut data on Betterfront than other places where they'd be able to do that? Well, today's the only places would be either Excel or consultants. So one way would be slow. The other one would be expensive. The first thought that an LP would have if I'm a GP is how much time and resource would that LP allocate to me as an investment opportunity? And with Betterfront, there's no point to ask that question because the answer can be zero and it's already de delivered. So it really facilitates that entire relationship building, especially in a first phase. So, so that's what we have seen help out there. It sounds like this tool is a real help for the emerging manager, the smaller manager who doesn't have the resources or even the IR professionals on staff to be able to do this. The GPs are the ones fundraising. I love what you say about the Shopify for private markets, that you're arming the rebels. Exactly. Small fund managers are to some extent the rebels. They need the help building their business. Shopify enables people to build their business and open up this storefront online. You've worked with large fund managers as well, but you've worked with a number of smaller fund managers. Talk us through how you've thought about arming the rebels in this context. Absolutely. We do work with those clients. And here there's one you know, addition that we have done in terms of product line is we also want to help them connect with potential LPs, right? Because very often they have data, which we can help present. They have all the documents to fundraise. They have a great story that we can bring to life. And now we want to go one step further, which is introducing them to potential LPs that knowing that it's a fit, not bombarding and spamming everybody that will never work. As I know, as a former LP, there's nothing more annoying than receiving emails that don't fit your mandates. So that's what we have been focusing on also when working with smaller emerging GPs. Walk us through this in more detail, because when you talk about your platform, there's really this viral loop network effects to the business. GP fundraising gives you the data. You get first-party data, which I think people may not appreciate how important that is in this context. A lot of places where you can get data in private markets today is third-party data. To your point, consultants have a lot of first-party data, but they not, might not have everything. You obviously need to have as many funds as possible to get the first-party data. But then that data gives the LPs the ability to do diligence. And then that attracts more GPs because you have more LPs on the platform. Then you're able to attract more LPs. Walk us through that network effect 
that you have in your business and why you think that's such a valuable piece to building better front into a platform a that serves fundraising but b maybe goes beyond that so data is a big part because when you look at private market by definition it's private data is not shared what you can find at some provider is partial data you cannot have everything nobody can make an investment decision based on public data but at the same time you receive first party data from gps with a terrible ui and that's really what we have been solving for. So by delivering value to LPs, we will help the GP in presenting their story, in convincing LPs of the strategy of the value creation. By doing these LPs, you know, are aware that we have a better way to actually look at opportunity because today it's not uncommon to look at institutional investors that increase allocation to private market, but are still understaffed. So it means that how can we make sure that we view every opportunity out there and analyze them based on data, not just gut feeling that's also what we can really help as you said you get more lps that that think that that's a way to look at investment and investing and then you can get more gps on it as well that's where we are today to really focusing also on this shopify and at the same time attracting more lps right so you build the foundations for the data the network then you have the assets on the platform be remiss not to talk about the secondaries opportunity in private equity. There's a huge opportunity in terms of the supply demand dynamic of amount of capital raised from GPs and amount of interest from LPs in private markets. What is your view on the secondaries market in private equity? That's a really great question. And and that is a big vision here as well. Working with GPs, not only across primary fundraising, but also secondaries, whether it is LP-led, whether it is GP-led, and providing the tools and the data to enable them as well. So in the end, as you read, it looks more like a SaaS-enabled marketplace where you can also do a primary fundraising there, then manage a couple of LP-led secondaries over here and maybe start to think about a GP-led restructuring on a fund. So Gondorius for us, it's a very exciting part of the business. There's more and more activity on, on that side of the business as well. You mentioned a few different types of secondaries, LP-led secondary, a GP restructuring or GP-led secondary where GPs get some of the fund bought out for them so they get some liquidity. Walk us through what each of these types of secondaries are for those not as familiar and why they would do these types of things? I think when we talk about secondaries, we are actually talking about different things. On one hand, we're talking about LP-led, which until last year was the main type of secondary activity out there. And it's very simply LP wanting to sell the fund commitment before the end of the fund. It used to be only a small portion of LPs that want to do this, but it keeps increasing. The reason is they really want the flexibility. They want to be able to rebalance portfolio. Sometimes they actually have to do it. If you look at what's happening on the public side, they have this rebalance effect. So it means they have to rebalance the portfolio. And then you have the GP part of it, where it is since last year, I think there was half-half between GP and LP-led in terms of transaction. And a GP-led secondary, it's really a GP realizing that some assets has more upside left and the time is up. But they don't want to really give up on a great asset because they can see there's an upside if you keep it for another 12 months or 24 months. So what they do is they offer the LP to either continue the ride with them or get out. As companies are taking longer to go public, this rise in GP-led secondary is only getting started because GPs know the asset 
better than anybody else. They want to keep working with great teams. So that's a great way for them to do this, to get the additional upside and also to get liquidity to the LPs that actually need the liquidity after 10 or 12 years. To date, the secondary market has been rather opaque and in some senses, thinly traded as a result, or they're very bespoke structured solutions. There's plenty of specialty firms. Lexington Partners comes to mind, which recently was acquired by Franklin Templeton. And there's a number of other secondaries firms, Landmark Partners, another one. They're these bespoke solutions providers. How do you think that changes over time? And how can a platform like Betterfront, which has the insights from a data perspective, the transparency, you're building this network. How does that change the way a secondaries market works over time? When you look at secondary, I think we only really at the start of it. We think that Prequin just released a data point. There is $5.5 trillion of unrealized NAV out there in private equity. But the amount of secondary last year that was transacted is $132 billion. So it's very low. It's a very low percentage. It's almost illiquid. And there's a lot of room to grow. The reason we're not there yet is, is again, placement agents. The way that they are structured, the way that they work is in order for them to make economical sense to actually transact, it needs to be a very large uh, LP fund interest, like 50 billion. And also secondary firm is kind of the, the same for them. They cannot spend a lot of time on a small transaction of 100K. It has to be of a certain, because when you're managing 20 billion, you have to deploy 20 billion in a couple of years. You have to do it at scale. As a result, if you are small LPs between 100,000 to 10 million, you have been left out of the secondary market. So there's no liquidity for you. That's how we look at secondaries at Betterfront. How can we enable liquidity? Not really for the big stakes, not for the hundreds, 500 million, even billion of transfer, but for the 100 to 10 million different interests that need liquidity, wants to be transferred, but don't have a market actually to it. Interesting. It's fascinating to think about how this secondary opportunity changes private equity. Do you think this also changes the LP complexion of the space and who ends up investing into secondaries? To date, it's mostly been institutions being solutions providers, like the Lexington's Landmarks, who are helping LPs restructure portfolios or GPs get liquidity, et cetera. Does that change over time as more investors come into private markets? And if so, who are the types of investors who will participate in secondaries, not just as LPs in a fund like Lexington? Sure, the high net worth community can participate and invest into a fund like Lexington. But does this change at all in terms of the complexion of investors investing directly into secondaries? That's a really great point. There's a couple of elements here. The first is that already today, there's more dry powder ready to be deployed than opportunities on the secondary side. So there's already more money out there. The reason is very uh, simple. The opportunities, the return on secondaries are really great. The risk return on the secondary side is really an interesting one. And of course, if you're in high net worth individual at some point, you want to have access to this and you want to allocate a part of your portfolio to that opportunity as well. But I think what is also more important is actually LPs on the primary side. We have heard from clients that are in fundraising saying that the LPs that they are speaking to are requiring liquidity options before they commit to the fund, which I think is very interesting. It shows that there is more than a need. There is a real will on the secondary side. Is this a structural challenge for LPs. I'm talking about larger institutional LPs as they need to rebalance their portfolios now as they go more and more into private markets. And obviously, 
things have changed in 22 with interest rates rising and the market's changing, but there's really this denominator effect and LPs, large pension funds, et cetera, they're so allocated to private markets that they need to rebalance their portfolios and to some extent relative to public markets and get some liquidity, et cetera. How do you think about some of these structural challenges in the industry and what does that mean going forward? In the past, as a traditional investor, we're absolutely fine getting into illiquid assets if they would get a premium for the additional risk. But now they realize that they can actually use secondary as a strategic tool inside their portfolio. They need the flexibility and it's not a distress situation. The fund is not doing well, we should set it. That's actually not what's happening. What's happening is LP, as you said, they need to rebalance portfolios, the NAVs, are in a work, so we need to change that. And maybe they need to refocus their portfolio on a couple of GPs and partner more deeply with those GPs. We have also heard, for instance, of that case. So there's a lot of different reasons why LP would actually do this. And now, if you even think about high net worth individuals and even going into retail, the need for liquidity only increases because a lot of people are actually selling or democratizing the access to private market, which is great, and I think it should. But I think only a few people realize that the life fund is not really 10 years. It's actually on paper 10, but in real life it's 14 to 15 years. And a lot of things change in between. So they need the flexibilities and need liquidity. The question is, how do GPs actually think about that upfront? How good is liquidity, though, in private markets? You can make an argument that illiquidity is actually a feature, not a bug, assuming that you don't need to sell to fund future commitments. That's very often what we've heard. Yeah, people want illiquid assets. And I think to some extent, it's true. It has to be illiquid. But on the other end, as we say, life happens. You have change. You need to rebalance portfolio. And that's also what we have seen why people want to transact on the secondary market. It's not really related to distress situation. It's really more about that part. On that point, what does the future of private markets look like? when it comes to the secondaries market and then even the placement agent business? Because it seems like we're headed towards a world where more data creates more transparency, more transparency creates more liquidity, more liquidity creates a market that looks more similar to public markets than private markets. How do you think about what the future holds for the state of private markets? I think from a GP perspective, you have to think about secondary from the get-go when you're raising your primary funds. And I had some discussion with GPs where we were discussing if that LP, which is about to commit, if you would include liquidity options from the LPA right away, would that actually increase the commitment that you would receive? Because they know they have more flexibility. So that's one thing is really how do we think about secondaries as a strategy? How do we are proactive about managing the liquidity of the funds that we're about to raise. Then the other part is, how do you actually make the secondary part of the business work? How do you have data and analytics that enable price discovery to enable potential buyers to come understand the assets in a way that it doesn't take a week because you don't want to spend two weeks to analyze and buy 100K. It has to be faster. So how do you have the platform that enables all of those transactions, right? At scale and with speed and easy. You want to share data, you want to analyze performance, you want to bid, you want to sign, you want to get the assets. So I think that's where private market is going. It's an interesting path. It's really a changing one. I don't think it will be as liquid as public market, but it's definitely be more than what we have right now. And do you see, given that you, to some extent, are arming the rebels, but also providing a great solution to larger funds, do you see 
the world of private markets consisting of more smaller funds because now they have more tools to build their businesses and continue to, to build their business in a way that enables them to be a small business owner like Shopify and there's a lot of them? Or do you see the world of private markets going very much towards an aggregator model where many of these funds really size up and scale up and you just have a large number of larger funds? I think it really depends. But in my opinion, the majority want to build an aggregate assets, not to like endless and over this 50 billion. I don't think everybody is aiming for that, obviously. I think some solo GP want to continue to be solo GP, maybe build up some assets as well. But the majority of fund manager will continue to aggregate assets, become asset manager. The question is, how do they think about the right size and how does that impact performance as well? How do you make that right? decision. Also, what type of LPs do you want to go after? Is it institutional? Is it family offices? High net worth individuals? Is it retail? How can you make all of that play together? Because in the end, you want to raise the assets, you want to deploy it, you want to return capital. That's really what you need to do. So how do you make it all of it play together? That's kind of the art and science of management. We got a primer in the art and science of fundraising and fund management today. This has been fantastic. I always love to end this podcast by asking every person who comes on what their favorite or most interesting alternative investment is. What's yours? Most interesting alternative investments. I have a lot of clients. So I need to be careful what I say. <laughs> I say because our clients, most of them in the venture capital space, I would say venture capital investments to me is still very interesting. The question is which size, which sectors, which region that I will leave up to the audience. But I definitely still believe in venture capital and the return that it can bring. Having been an LP in the VC world, what were some of the things that you saw about certain funds that made it stand out to you? I had the chance to work under someone that has been 22 years in doing fund investments. When I joined, there was already a lot built. So I could already see what has been done before and analyze what has worked, what did not work. There's a lot of things, but one is really how do people think about portfolio construction and fund model before deploying capital? Because over and again, best returns, the 5x net really will come from making the right follow-on investments, making the right investment decision, and very often it's based on data. So that's really what I have seen working quite well. Obviously, there's a lot more things, team, and so on, but that's really what, you know, from a data perspective, we really like to spend time on here. Those are wise words from someone who's been an LP, who's now building tools for both LPs and GPs, so you've seen it all. Michelle, thanks so much for coming on the Elko's Mainstream Podcast. Pleasure to have you. Michael, thanks to you. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Alt Goes Mainstream. I hope you enjoyed it. You can find more episodes of the podcast at any of your favorite podcast sites, and you can read more about alts at my substack, altgoesmainstream.substack.com, and follow me on Twitter at, at Michael Sigmore and at GoesAlt. Thanks a lot, and have a great day. We're going